As I mentioned, we are in a series in the book of Hebrews, so that's at the back of your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. It's helpful, as always, to be able to see the text in front of you and follow along. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 2, the first four verses, and if you're using the blue Bible, that's page 1001, 1001 Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. Let's stand together as we read God's word. Mine is titled, Warning Against Neglecting Salvation. Warning Against Neglecting Salvation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. You may be seated, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Every September, the YMCA has a sprint triathlon down at Riceville Beach. Some of you have done it. Most of you have seen the traffic cones that bother your driving at some point over the weekend. And it's called a sprint because it's the smallest of the triathlons. You swim a mile, and then once you get out of the, the waterway, you bike for 13, and then you run the loop down at Riceville Beach, which is three miles. Then you die. That's basically what happens after that. At least that was my personal experience. And um, the swim launches, if you're familiar with Riceville Beach, Lumina Avenue, runs, uh, Lumina Avenue runs along Banks Channel, and there's a big hotel there called the Blockade Runner. Most of you are familiar with it. And across the street from the Blockade Runner is a beach area, and in front of that is called Banks Channel. Most of us have been through Banks Channel at some point. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to swim across Banks Channel and then into another channel. So think of it as like a T. And when they do race day, they always do race day on an incoming tide. So the tide's coming in from the ocean, up Banks Channel, and you're swimming across this tide into Mott's Channel, then you swim around to Sea Path. The tricky part about the swim is when you're swimming across Banks Channel, the tide is running from your left to your right. And so you've got to hit this little narrow channel, Mott's channel, and when you jump in, you're swimming, and there's no, you know, it's not like a pool where there's lines on the bottom that you can see, and if you're not careful, you just start drifting right, and so, so every few strokes, you have to lift up your head and say, okay, am I, am I, am I going in the right direction, because if you don't, and you drift too far right, and you miss the channel, miss Mott's channel, then you have to swim against the tide in order to get back in. It's almost impossible. I had a friend of mine who did this, and uh, he lived in the neighborhood, and I saw him afterwards, and I said, hey, how was your race? I, did, I didn't see you. And he said, well, I, I missed the channel. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I ended up on somebody's dock, 
And I had to dive in, swim furiously, trying to get back into the Mott's channel. I never could. So some poor soul on a paddleboard drug me into the channel, and I just dog paddled to the end. And he said, I was so tired after the swim, I couldn't finish the race. That's the concern the writer of Hebrew has, that you drift and you miss the channel. Maybe you're not paying attention. Maybe you're just being lazy. Maybe objects come into your life that cause you to drift. Whatever the cause is, you started out, you had a good stroke. It seemed like you had had practice. You're, you're heading out with the right group of people. But somehow you, you, you failed to look up. You failed to fix your eyes on the channel that you're aiming for, and you just started drifting. And the fear the Hebrew writer has is the fear I share today for you is that you would drift in such a way to miss the channel, but then miss eternal life too. If you miss the channel, you can miss everything. And so that's why the writer is saying, don't drift. These are people who have started out well, and he's concerned that they're, they're going to drift. Hebrews 12, he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Remember how it closes? Fixing our eyes on Jesus. You feel that? You're in a race. You've got it marked out. They've got the buoys out there in the water. They're big orange things. You can't miss them unless you just don't pull your head up and just reorient yourself. So Paul's saying, or the writer is saying, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus or else you're going to drift away. As I mentioned earlier, the word Hebrew means people who have crossed over. Abraham crossed over. He crossed over the Euphrates to enter into Canaan. The Hebrew people in Egypt passed through the Red Sea. They crossed over the, the River Jordan. So he, the Hebrews are people who crossed over. They were on one side following after something, and then they crossed over. They decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for Jesus. I'm going to go for God. And they made a meaningful effort. And yet they wanted to drift away. They wanted to not finish the race for some reason. And I wonder if you could just stop for a second and think of a, a Hebrew moment you've had. Where something happened, maybe like what Dan said this morning, where I woke up and I said, okay, I'm ready to cross over. Sometimes it's just, you wake up one morning, sometimes it's an event to say, hey, I've been chasing after this, and now I, I know that's, that's not going to be my home. I'm going to cross over. You're at a camp somewhere. You were a 16-year-old. You were at vacation Bible school. You were an adult, and you just said, hey, I'm going I'm to follow God in a way that I haven't followed him before. It's a great moment, but the person who helps you realize that moment should say, don't drift. I mean, I know right now you wouldn't think you would drift away because you've got all this energy, you want to cross over, but there's a great danger in drifting. And I want to unpack just these four verses for us this morning and make some comments and see if we can get some help from this writer. Pay much closer attention 
to what you've heard. Don't drift away. We are people who have heard a message declared by angels. This is the Old Testament. And it proved to be reliable. And every transgression or disobedience was punished. If you didn't keep the law, you received a punishment. And now we've received a greater word, Jesus. And if we neglect him, there, there's no, no escape. This message was declared first by the Lord, that's Jesus. It was attested to us by those who heard, that's the disciples. And then God also chimed in. He bore witness by signs and wonders and gifts and miracles. Let's start out by just looking at this word, therefore. It may help you just to frame this correctly in your mind, to think of the writer as a lawyer and his congregation as a courtroom. This was helpful to me as I try to explain what's happening here. The writer's a lawyer, and he's trying to make his case. He's put on his gray suit. He's got his congregation before him. That's the courtroom. This is the jury. He's trying to convince the jury that what he's saying is true. And he's saying, hey, uh, he's making his best case for Jesus. And then he's going to say, because of this, we can't drift away. We got that picture in our mind. Therefore, is the word begins chapter 2, because the writer's already been making his case. We're in the middle of the argument, so to speak, when we come to chapter 2. He's already made his case about Jesus back in chapter 1, who he says is the exact radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. All those things we talked about a few weeks ago. He gives seven attributes about who Jesus is. And then he says, and he's better than everything. Specifically, he's better than angels. The ones from whom you receive the Old Testament from. And then he gives seven Old Testament texts to prove that Jesus is better than angels. And then we arrive at chapter 2. Therefore, since I've convinced you that Jesus is unique and Jesus is better, then we must pay closer attention, or in the Greek, it's exceedingly necessary. You, you can feel some urgency and some pleading by this man to say it's exceedingly necessary. This, isn't, this is something that requires your full attention. It's not optional. It's not seasonal. I'm all in for Jesus at Christmas and Easter. It's, it's not something you do just when you're in, in a crisis. Everything's going well, I kind of just slip away, but when crisis comes, I'm praying and I, want, I need God to do something. No, it's, it's fixing your eyes on Jesus. It's something you have to do every day or you drift away. And this is a danger for, for everybody across time. Moses in Deuteronomy, familiar passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, he's one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. And these words shall be on your heart, and you're supposed to teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit down, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them on a, as a sign on your hand, on the doorpost of your house, on your gates. Why? Because you might drift away. It's, it's not something I just come to on Sundays and get got a, got a little refresher. 
It's something you've got to do every single day. You've got to keep lifting your head and say, okay, I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus today because if I don't, I'll just start drifting. And, and one day of not focusing on Jesus turns into a week and can quickly turn into a month. And you can just drift away. The word drift, very interesting term here. It's a, it has a nautical theme to it. It means like a ring that slipped off an anchor. For those of you who have been on a boat or have a boat, you throw your anchor out and there's a chain that's connected to it. And just imagine if one of those links just somehow has a little crack and it, it slips off. I mean, the anchor's secure, but your boat is no longer secure. And some of you have been in a situation where your boat, now it's drifting. It's not attached to anything. Or it's a boat that's trying to enter the harbor, a safe harbor, and they don't pay attention, so they drift away. I'm going to turn, return at the end of the sermon to this idea of drifting, but I just want to pause right now and ask, is there anyone here who could say, I'm, I know I'm here this morning because I'm drifting? I had some energy. I was on one side. I dove in and said, I want to get to the other side. But somewhere, a link in the chain just got detached. And I can just feel it in my soul, my spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm a person who's drifting. I'm a person who's in danger. Remember the famous hymn, which we'll sing at the end, Come Thou Fount, written in 1757 by Robert Robinson. And probably your favorite line is mine, too. Prone to wonder. Remember that one? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I mean, here's a guy who dove in. He's swimming, and somehow he, he feels that drifting. And we appreciate his honesty for that. So God, this man has made a case. He's saying, don't drift. Uh, trust that Jesus is better. Verse 2, 4. And then he's going to go into sort of like a lawyer-like argument. But let's remember that the original audience is Jewish, and in the Jewish tradition, they believe that angels delivered the Old Testament word. Now, it was from the Lord, but it was delivered by angels. I'll give you an example, and you can look it up later, Acts 7.53. You who received the law as delivered by angels, but didn't keep it. So they were the intermediaries. They were the people who delivered the word. And so if angels have delivered the first word of God and it proved reliable, and those who drifted away from that first word missed the promised land, do you, you sense his argument? If the people who've been given the word from the Old Testament drifted away and missed the promised land, you who've been given a greater word, by Jesus himself, who is the word, if you neglect it, there's no way of escape. Hebrews 3.15, just look at this with me. Probably on the same page. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. It's really the same as chapter 2, verse 1. Today, my friends, if you hear his voice, don't have a hard heart. Like the people in the rebellion. If you go back to Numbers, you can find this. 
They heard, and yet they rebelled. It was those who left Egypt, led by Moses. And with whom was God provoked for those 40 years? Was it not those who sinned and whose body fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, by the promise of eternity, it's resting in his hands. Let us fear lest you should seem to have failed to reach it. Just don't drift away. Don't drift away. It's happened before. It's happened with your Hebrew people. Don't, don't be part of that group. It's such a sad and sobering thing that this people who received a great, great salvation... They drifted away in the wilderness. You remember what caused them to drift away mostly? Complaining. Just grumbling. Hey God, I dove in with you, but guess what? You're not doing exactly what I want you to do. I thought it would be a little bit different. And they just start complaining. And they just turn into a grumble and they miss paradise. So you notice like a, a good lawyer, he just lets that question hang in the air. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Question mark. Pause. Just like a lawyer would do, just saying, hey. You know what happened to those people, right? Yeah, we do. Well, what happens to you if you neglect Jesus? He just lets that sink in. And then he wants to stir up their affections, I think, in verse 3 or 4. In case there are people who are drifting, he's going to try to remind them of how great their salvation is in verse 3. 3 and 4, and again, he uses lawyer-like language, declared, attested, witness. These are all sorts of sort of courtroom scene drama. The good news was declared first by the Lord, it says, meaning Jesus. John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Jesus proclaimed the gospel. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. Nobody gets to the other side except for through me. Think, just think about this for a moment. Jesus is dying on a cross. He's got a man to his right and a man to his left. And one of them is fixing his eyes on Jesus in this very painful moment. And what does Jesus promise him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Just keep looking at me. What's the other thief doing? Complaining. Why don't you get me down from this? This man is so close to paradise. He's a few breaths away, a few hours away. And what is he doing? He's dying complaining. He could have sailed right into paradise, but instead he decided he wanted to complain. Jesus declared the good news. Then it was affirmed. It was attested to by the eyewitnesses, those who heard, it says in verse 3. 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, John 
the disciple, the beloved disciple, writes this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, which we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. We've seen it. We testify to it. To it. We proclaim it to you. It's, it, Jesus said it, and then they're affirming it. And then finally, God's bearing witness to it, this third witness by signs and wonders and miracles. Remember Jesus in the upper room. He's trying to convince his own disciples to trust in him. And he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, at least believe on the miracles. You guys have had a front row seat to what I've said. And even if it seems confusing, think about what you've seen. Just let that be the trust until you really have your heart into it. Just see what God has done through me. So, so don't drift away. Don't neglect such a great salvation. So I want to circle back here just for a few minutes in closing and just consider some ways that you and I might drift away. There's more, but these all started with D, so I just thought this was helpful in terms of remembering them. One way we drift away is through desires. We just have worldly desires. We see the shiny objects. Paul, in his final letter, remember this to 2 Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. This is a man who's just very close to getting his head cut off. And he knows when that happens, he's going to break the tape of eternity. And he's writing last few words in a dungeon prison cell saying I'm, I'm just about ready to break the tape I'm going to finish Timothy I want you to finish feel that urgency like a dying parent grandparent trying to tell their child or grandchild I, I, want, to, I want you to finish don't drift while I'm gone and he talks about one of his friends Demas Demas this is a quote from chapter 4, verse 10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted. Oh. Demas. I mean, I want to find this guy and say, your best friend was Paul. One of his best friends was Luke. They wrote most of the New Testament. How could you drift? I mean, this is your group. This is your tribe. You must have seen things nobody else could have possibly seen. I, no doubt there was pain involved with it. But you drifted, and, and you just want to say, what happened? Something about the world caught his attention. And he just drifted away. He was running along the narrow way. He was running with the right crowd, but he didn't make it to the finish line. I, I don't imagine it happened all at once. I imagine he said, oh, I'll just take my eyes off just for today. And today turned into a lifetime, an eternal lifetime. One way we drift is desires. Another way I'm calling digital drift. Something the Apostle Paul would have not known anything about. 
instead of scrolling through God's Word, swiping right here, take out a little black box, and you drift. Sociologist Professor John Haidt Many of you have read some, something about him, even if you didn't know it. It's very in the paper a lot, in blog posts. He's written extensively about the problems associated with social media and with teens, especially middle school girls. Since the invention of the iPhone, depression and suicidal thoughts have more than tripled for middle school girls. Gen Z, 11 to 26, is the most anxious and medicated generation in history. Well, why is that? I mean, I'm, I'm not a sociologist, but I could pick off a few things. Imagine, imagine you're a middle school girl today with a phone. The pressure you're going to receive. Over 60% of Gen Z have an anxiety disorder. Anyone digitally drifting here? Anyone scrolling and saying, hey, it looks like everybody's life is great except for mine. And then you just drift. You're drifting after something that's a, it's not even true. I had a friend of mine who went to New York with his wife, and he had told me about it and said, hey, this is a, an anniversary. She loves New York. She wants to go see a play and eat at these fancy restaurants. And I got it all set up, Paul. And he had some posts on social media. I saw him two weeks later. I said, and that just looked like a home run. He said, most miserable three days of my life. Nothing but argument. But, you know, when they posted the picture, you know, they're outside Broadway or whatever. It looks great. And, of course, everybody thought they had the big time. And everybody was going, I wish I was like them. And then you realize they're miserable. But you just digitally drift trying to say, I've got I've to do something that gets me in that place. I, I can keep going. It's a great danger. When you start to digitally drift, this is what usually happens. You start complaining. That's a good sign you're in big danger. Third, three of four, if you're counting, disconnected drift. Studies have shown for some time that college students, Dan said it, it's a prime place of drift. Students who have had a Hebrew moment, oh, I remember I went to a Young Life camp or I, I did something in my youth group or I met a coach and I was involved in FCA. Or I had this moment, I dove in when I was 14 or 16 or 18, but I got to college and I got disconnected. I was listening to a podcast by Kara Powell, and the title of it is Why is the Next Generation Walking Away from the Faith? And she said two primary reasons. One is a lack of adult relationships with the teenagers in the church. And they don't see church as a safe place to express doubts. Everybody there seems to have it all together. And when you're 17, you realize, I don't have it all together. And I've got to pretend. So it doesn't seem like a real place to me. hope that's not Christ's community. 
if you're in college here, and there'll be more in the second service, I'd love to hear what you have to think about this. Just email me this week. Hey, this is why I think there's a lot of drifting happening in college. Finally, very painfully, disappointment drift. Maybe disillusionment drift or drifting because of pain. This is very common. Because we're all going to feel some sort of hopeless pain. And you're going to wonder where God is. And it's a very good opportunity for drifting. Philip Yancey writes a great book called Disappointment with God. It's worth reading, especially if you're in uh, this disappointment drift. He recalls a letter from a mother whose child has cystic fibrosis. And cystic fibrosis causes lung damage where you can't breathe. Here's what she writes to Philip Yancey, hoping to get some answers. I was sitting beside her bed a few days before her death when suddenly she began to scream. I'll never forget those shrill, piercing screams. The nurses rushed in to stroke her body. I've rarely seen such compassion, yet it did little to help. Nurses can stay on this floor only so long. They could not have done more to be helpful. Yet God, who could have been helpful, helpful, looked down on a young woman fully devoted to him and decided to sit on his hand and just let cystic fibrosis rip through my daughter's body. I can tell you, Philip, that it doesn't help to have someone talk of the good results of pain at that moment. God chose not to intervene. And my response was grief and anger as violent as any I have ever known. If you haven't gotten to this place, you, I'm sad to say you will get to this place. You'll have personal pain, family pain, and you'll think, if God was loving in any way, he wouldn't let this happen. And I can't address all that. I'd be happy to talk to you if that would be helpful, but that's a real point of drifting. Anyone drifting? Remember the hymn, Come Thou Fount? Robert Robinson's got a great little history to it. I'll close here. 1735, Robinson lived in London. He was kind of a street gang kid. And a great evangelist named George Whitfield was coming to preach in his town. And they thought, they'll go, go to heckle the people who come. And if they get close enough, they'll heckle George Whitfield themselves. And so they went, and George Whitfield preached a message from Matthew, and the text was, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Robinson sat very close to the stage, was shaken by the sermon, so much that he became a follower of Christ. He crossed over. Eventually, he became a pastor himself. And pastoring the church, he decided, you know what, I'd like to write a song. And he wrote, Come Thou Found. Just about his own experience. And he wrote that song, and it became popular to sing in different churches. And we don't know why, but Robinson drifted away. Left his pastorate. Just forgot about God for whatever reason, we don't know. Until one day he was in a carriage 
And there was a teenage girl, I think, that age. And just to pass the time, she started humming a tune. You know what the tune was? Come thou fount. When she was done with it, she said, how did you like my singing? <laughs> Robinson said, Madam, I am, an, I am the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could feel that now. And the young woman said, Sir, streams of mercy, they're still flowing. So if you find yourself drifting, I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to say I'm drifting and know what you're going to find. Streams of mercy to move you back into the channel. No condemnation. You're drifting. Okay, guess what? There's a paddleboarder named Jesus, and he can pull you back into the stream. So just jump on, get, get on that. Don't, don't, don't try to fix yourself first or get a little bit better and then I can do it or try to do it yourself. Just That's all foolishness. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Let's pray. Lord, uh, hard text because everyone in here has or is a drifter. And at the moment of drifting, we, we don't know it, or gosh, this looks so much better, or I don't understand God. I mean, we have all reasons to continue to drift, but I just pray that this megaphone from the Hebrew writer in chapter 2 would just blast through every hard heart. Say, st stop drifting, get help today. Streams of mercy, never ceasing here to bring you back. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.